Talking about radio with guest Ken R begins in 90 seconds. Say g'day to an epic Melbourne adventure. Welcome on board. Hop on a Qantas flight to Melbourne where you can uncover amazing experiences. There's timeless stories, little mates waiting to meet you, and places to fall in love with around every bend. From way up here to way down under. Start your Melbourne adventure with Qantas and we'll make sure it's the trip of a lifetime. So what are you waiting for? Come and say day. For the early risers and those who love surprises. For the recliners and the fine diners. For the let's try something newers and the love staring at the viewers. For the self-explorers and the tell-us-morers. For the movers and shakers and the memory makers. For the reassurance that we're with you every step of the way. Book your luxury European river cruise today at rivieratravel.co.uk. This is Paul Mortimer, Programme Director with Century 100 in Dublin, Ireland. And you are listening to the world-famous podcast, Talkie About Radio, with John Leslie. You're about to hear one of the most fascinating podcasts available on the internet today. Listen in now as host John Leslie and his dynamic guests are talking about radio. Thank you very much, John Morgan. John is the host of a podcast known as uh, Grasshopper Notes, and they're very interesting, quite short, so you uh, get some education and relaxation and learn lots of things with Grasshopper Notes from John Morgan. I have really been looking forward to our guest today. He's been on, on my calendar now for probably a month, and our relationship goes back probably 20, 25 years ago. And, and he's got a lot of relationships that he developed over the years through his broadcast career and later with his jingle company. Our guest today is Ken Deutsch, uh, formerly known as Ken R. from Ken R. Productions. Ken, hello. Welcome. Thank you very much for being with us. Oh, happy to be here. Uh, my, my middle initial is R. My first name is Ken. My last name is Deutsch. When I had my jingle company, I found that people always um, mispronounced my last name, Ken Douche, you know, all sorts of terrible <laughs> yeah, things. Right. So um, I just decided to go by 10R, and I did that for about 24 years. I had my jingle company. That, yeah, uh, that's a long time. Uh, quarter of a century you, you had your jingle company. But your, yeah. your, your love affair with radio started a long, long time before that. What, back in, in 70, 71, you were living in Ohio, I guess? Um, yes. And uh, your, your first radio station was a, an FM station, WGLN? Yes. Oh, it was. That was horrible. That was, <laughs> was a it, was uh, <laughs> little FM station in suburban Delta, Ohio, which was a farming community. And the station was put on the air by a couple of local farmers, and their uh, their names were Larry and Norman Green, so GLN, uh-huh. and um, they just put it on because they wanted to hear some country music, and the station started off in the country. Now, were, how, how did you get your foot in the door? Did, did you know at that um, time that you wanted to, uh, were you just looking for a job, or were you looking for a radio job? Oh, no, I was definitely looking for a radio job. I had been listening to radio since I was a little kid uh, growing up, actually, in Chicago, listening to WLS. Oh, yeah. And uh, we moved to Ohio in 62. And um, I continued to listen to radio, but was really fascinated by the jingles. 
And I thought the way to get closest to that would be to become a disc jockey. And so there was actually an ad in the paper on a Sunday and they were looking for a disc jockey at this little station called WGLN, which was in the middle of a cornfield in um, Berkey, Ohio, I think it was. And uh, so I went out there and I saw the building, but I thought it was just a transmitter shack because mm -hmm. it was a very small building. And I walked in and there was a secretary in there at a desk. Um, and I said, I, I'd like to uh, apply for the disc jockey job. And so she said, okay, I'll get the program director. And the program director was actually on the air at the time. And he came out to meet me in the lobby at this little tiny station and said, well, come on back here. I'm on the air. Why don't you watch me for a while and we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And he said, well, can you start Monday? <laughs> and that was, my, that was my audition process. He never heard a tape of me or anything like that. And he just hired me and I started being a disc jockey at this little country station. Boy, I wish my track in had been that easy. I had to hang around for like two years, uh, get thrown out and then come back and get thrown out, cry. You know, they'd say, you're, you're getting in the way, you know, <laughs> get yeah, out of here. Yeah. I got with tears running down my face. You know. Well, and, I think these guys needed me more than I needed them. I mean, they really needed somebody for this particular air shift. Uh -huh. And I think it paid all of us. Dollar eighty-two an hour or something oh. like that, which in nineteen seventy-one or nineteen seventy, whenever it was that I started there, um, that was okay. But, you know, I didn't. I was just on the air, and I was happy to be on there. And how how long did you? Well, you were driving back, uh, still living with your family, and yes, and, I was. and you were driving back and forth to the radio station. How far was that? Oh, I don't know. It was about a half hour drive or something oh, like that. That's not my too little bad. VW, my little uh, red VW, I'd drive out there at uh, what, whatever time they needed me that week. You know, it was it was okay. It was it was a good first radio job, you know. So, and I was learning. I, I was intrigued by your comment. Wherever they needed me that week, did your yeah your, your shifts? Yeah. Uh, uh, they weren't all the same. I mean, you didn't do nights or evenings. Well, no, I. No, I started off filling in for whoever was on vacation. And then finally I got my own shift. But, um, you know, everybody need when they're just starting out, they need a place to be bad. Uh -huh. And I was a t terrible disc jockey. I was bad. I'd only been on college radio stations before that. And uh, I was not a great disc jockey, but I learned and they let me be bad on the air at WGLN. Well, now you you said in, in your reputation uh, is primarily because of your jingle company and your love for jingles. And uh, did that little station have jingles? They did. They had a, a package by a company called Atwood Richards, which uh. was a New York uh, jingle company. And these jingles were so bad <laughs> that we had to splice them down to get just the call letters and the first bar uh, and then just the ending because they, they had such goofy lyrics and, and they were so terrible, but um, that was one of my first jobs was to dub the jingles over to another tape and then splice them down to the shortest possible version. <laughs> and that's, that's what I did. And, and that was much better than the original package. Maybe. Well, the, the jingle business became far more sophisticated as years went by, but I'm remembering back to uh, those years, my, my, 
my career started in in the 60s uh, in the mid 60s uh and and the company then was a company called pepper tanner and mm -hmm. uh, and, and they had a unique system because a lot of radio stations couldn't afford jingles right and mm -hmm. and they had a, a, a unique uh three-way trade system uh and I, you're shaking your head yes so i'm guessing you're familiar with how that yeah. works oh oh very much it's just a, a traditional barter system where party number one was the jingle producer party number two was another advertiser such as decon rat baits <laughs> and and party number three was the radio station so they would produce this jingle package, and uh, the station would get the jingles. The producer would get some money for it, and Decon Ratbait or whoever the <laughs> sponsor was uh, would would get their uh, commercials on the air. And you know this, uh, they they still do some bartering of jingles today. Uh, several companies do that. Um, Jam and TM, I know, do some bartering even today. Um, you know, I never really liked that system. I yeah. thought really nobody was benefited by it too much. But um, most radio stations at some point in the 60s ended up with a little purple pepper or pepper tanner uh, jingle box in their jingle drawer because they were uh, they didn't cost the station anything out of pocket. Yeah. And, and those commercials for the rat bait didn't necessarily air on your station. Uh, they, they could air to help pay off that debt, they, they would appear on uh, other stations in other cities as well. Um, yeah, they were running them on multiple, uh, multiple cities, but, you know, we ended up certainly running our share of those and uh, those uh, tanning oil. Um, um, Tanya, I think Tanya was the name of a, a, a product that you put on your skin to tan. Better. And oh, there were yeah. a few others and, you know, whenever you hear those on the air, you knew that they were trading their jingles. <laughs> yeah. So after you left your little first station there in Ohio, um, mm -hmm. and, and you were a seasoned professional after the first uh, couple of years, uh, where, yeah. did, where did you go? Well, the, the station, WGLN, was purchased by the same company that owned WOHO, which was a very popular AM station in Toledo, where I actually live. They were the number two station in Toledo, and they were just behind the number one station. So they they were really that was really kind of a coup for me. So when they bought the station, I got hired at WOHO in 1972 as a disc jockey, and I stayed there for five or six years, I think, and eventually worked my way up to program director, reaching my level of incompetence, you know, yeah. <laughs> as you do. But I, I wasn't. I was a disc jockey on WOHO Woho Radio, so yeah, that was big time. Yeah, well, I, the call letters are familiar. I, I, I've heard mm -hmm. it, and 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 Toledo is not a what you'd call a really small market. It's a, kind of a mid-sized market, and uh, yeah. you, you're in the shadow of Detroit, and uh, so it's, it was a nice move for you, and. All of this time, you're you're in there soaking in these uh, radio jingles, uh, and uh, was it in your mind at that time that one of these days I'm going to produce these? Yeah, and in fact, I I made some very noble experiments. Uh, I I at that time lived in a carriage house, which is like a little two story house behind a big mansion, you know, and it's in, in the early <laughs> 1900s. 
it's where they kept the uh, the horses and the horse equipment and all that stuff. So I lived in a converted carriage house, and it was quite nice actually, it was a beautiful little two story house. And I began to produce some experimental jingles in in the carriage house. Um, I had a four track doe quarter tape recorder, mm-hmm. and uh, I I could play several instruments. So I played drums, and then I played keyboard, and then I brought in some singers, and I sang. And at that time, I of course didn't really know what I was doing. I had been trained in classical music, so I could read and write music. And I'd write out these these little jingle charts. And uh, unfortunately, the singers I used couldn't read music. So <laughs> at that time, so I had to play their parts on the piano. And we had to record all the singers on one microphone. I mean, it was really amateur hour in Dixie, you know, really amateur hour. But it was my first experiments with that. And uh, then um, after I did that for a while, then I did I, I did some jingles in a more professional studio, and it kind of it kind of grew from there. And by 1977, um, I had started my own uh, jingle company while I was still working at at Loho. And then I, I quit Loho and went full time into jingles. So you, you actually worked only at, at two radio stations before you went into the, into the jingle business. Well, uh, that's not completely accurate because when I was in college, okay. I worked at the college station on campus. And I also worked at, uh, I went to college at the university of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And there was an adult station there, like a, you know, a WSPD kind of thing in Toledo. And uh, they hired me to work weekends there, which I continued to do even after I left college. So, yeah, I'd, I'd worked at a few other little stations along the way. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've I've learned something over the past year or so. I do uh, voice liners and promos uh, for a lot of stations uh, in Europe and elsewhere in South Africa and um, they call my liners jingles. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and yeah I, the terminology differs. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when, you know, first, uh, when I first started doing it and I, w- I would get a, a message from somebody in, uh, uh, name of Scotland, you know, and they'd say, here's the script for the, for your jingle. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to sing this man. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I, I learned, uh, and I, I I have used a line of yours a thousand times since I was in Toledo with you. We were doing some work, and you and I were having dinner at a spaghetti uh, Italian restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't know whether you remember that or not. And, yeah, spaghetti uh, warehouse. Yeah. And what was the name of it? Spaghetti warehouse. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, spaghetti warehouse. And you used a line that I've used many times. We were talking about singing, and mm-hmm. and you were describing your singing, and and you said they were thinking of use replacing the electric chair with my singing. Yeah, yeah, my singing is used as capital punishment. That's correct. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, my wife, my wife will tell you that I cannot sing at all. Um, I write and read music, and I wrote jingles for twenty four years, and I you know, played piano on a few of them, things like that, but don't ask me to sing. It's going to be disappointing. Yeah, that's exactly the same with me. I, there, there's nobody in our family. We have communications people all through our family. 
and all through our predecessors, but none of us would dare. We don't even sing happy birthday. I mean, it, it's just mm-hmm. awful. You know, people get up and leave the room if we sing happy yeah. birthday. You know? <laughs> well, I want to. Yeah, uh, you, you talk about you talk about doing these these voice liners that people call jingles. Um, if I had a voice like yours, I'd probably still be doing them. But my voice sounds kind of like a teenager whose voice never really changed, you know. So I, I was never a great disc jockey. I was never, um, you know, able to do the kind of announcing things that you do. Oh, well, thank you. That's a nice compliment. Do I remember, too, that you also did some uh, audio books? Uh, well, we produced them for other people. They would hire our studio and, and come in and read and I'd record it and edit it and things like that. But that was not a big part of what I did. I've often thought about that. In fact, I've got a guest lined up uh, next week uh, uh, who works for a company that does that. And uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to find out how, it, to me, it seems like a, a real laborsome thing, reading a whole mm-hmm. book into a microphone and, and then probably having to go back and edit it. You know, if I speak, oh, absolutely, having to go at it. The reason I I didn't really want to do any of that, frankly, is because it's so boring. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing it is pretty boring. Well, I want to get it. We're going to get. Person comes in and reads for hours and hours and hours, and then at that time in the in the early '80s, uh, you had to edit it with a razor blade, and (laughs) and that was very time consuming and no fun at all. Long about '94. We got our first computer for editing audio, and that made it much, much easier. Oh, yeah. It's still boring. Uh, even, well, but editing with a digital editor like uh, Adobe Audition or whatever you use mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. The fun evaporates after about an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, fun for a, it's fun for a little while, but then the novelty wears off, and oh, my God, I've got 72 more edits to do on this project, and I, you know, I just... It's 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 too uh, too labor intensive for me. I did a early on when we first started our our uh, podcast series, and I, and I never thought I would be doing this. I thought I was retired. I live about three hours away from you uh, mm-hmm. in Winter Haven, Florida, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but my good friend John Morgan talked me into doing this, and I've enjoyed it because I've met a lot of people. In fact, I, the number of people who have asked. Uh, to come beyond here uh, amazes me. Uh, I just yesterday, last night, I got an email from one of Hollywood's top um, television announcers, game show announcers, uh, asking if mm-hmm. there was room to be on. And I, so of mm-hmm. course, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. But early on, what I was going to say was early on, uh, one of the first, and I, I won't say this person's name, but this person uh, paused. After every interaction, uh, every mm-hmm. time I would ask a question, this person would pause, and I had to take out two hundred and thirty pauses, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, and it yeah. shortened yeah. up the program by about seven minutes. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's part of the deal. Yeah. But um, after about nineteen. 19- 81 or 82 in my studio that I started, um, I had put together a vocal group that was really very good. I mean, just amazingly talented, a five-voice vocal group. That's two girls and three guys. And they could all read music. 
which meant I could write out whatever I wanted to write, put it in front of them, and they'd just nail it. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that that happened pretty soon. And um, uh, just to get to the end of this thought here, um, I did that from about 1980 until the year 2000. And um, so that was, and then I did other stuff in the studio for another four or five years. But um, it was great. It was yeah. great because we had use of the Pam's instrumental tracks to yeah. sing over. And, and that's, that was by license with John Wolfert, who owns now owns Pam's and also Jam Creative Productions. And it was, it was a blast. We sang every week for, you know, 20 some years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a joy. In yeah. fact, just two weeks ago or three weeks ago, uh, I had to visit Toledo, which is where my studio was, Toledo, Ohio. And I had a reunion dinner with my singers. Oh, how and, nice. Uh, we had a, a wonderful time. They're all still nice people. And they look back on that period of singing jingles as one of the nicest parts of their lives, which was very nice to hear and flattering to me. But we sang every week for all of those years. Oh, wow. Uh, Ken, let me take a, a quick break here, and then we're going to come back, and I want to talk about those years, and I want to find out how you make jingles and how you make them sound so good and how you come up with the ideas, because you did a couple of packages for me that you had to create everything. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even give you a, a matchbook cover. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and so I want to find out about that, but we're going to take a 90-second break, and we'll be back with... Ken Deutsch in just a moment. I am Jeff Lawrence, professional voice talent heard on hundreds of radio and TV stations worldwide and scores of commercial advertisements. And I'm proud to tell you you're listening to the world-famous podcast Talking About Radio with John Leslie. Toyota makes electric as easy as... All the fun of electric made easy. The first ever BZ4X. Toyota. Let's go places. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy. Because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. This is Kaiwaza from Radio Green Goddess, Honolulu, Hawaii, USA, on Live365.com. And you're listening to the world-famous podcast, Talking About Radio, with John Leslie. Ken Deutsch is our guest today, uh, formerly... uh, were you the president or the CEO or what position did you give yourself at Ken R Productions? Uh, pretty much everything. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. was the, um, I was president of Ken R Incorporated, which eventually became Ken R LLC. And uh, yeah, I had at the height of our studio, I had three employees. So it was not a huge operation, but I had a couple of secretaries that shipped out all the packages and I had an engineer who mixed some of the more routine kind of things and uh, helped me out in the studio setting up mics and so forth. So it was not a big operation, but 
it was manageable. And we managed to just crank out these jingles. Uh, you know, in a, in a typical week, we might do um, 30 or 40 short ID call letter type jingles, plus a few 60 second commercial jingles. Mm -hmm. So it was really pretty busy and a pretty intense schedule, but it was great. Well, I've got a little, uh, I'm, I've forgotten now what these, a pro pack. This is the, you did a, you did mm -hmm. a number mm -hmm. of pro packs. These are demos. Is that right? That yes. went out to, uh, uh, various well, to radio stations. Uh, if you have a, if you have a pro pack demo, that gives you a little taste of what is included in it, in an actual pro pack. Pro packs were designed to provide generic jingles for mostly top 40 stations where they would not say call letters, but they'd say things like weather or sports or mm -hmm. solid gold or, you know, all of those little phrases. So stations could use them in conjunction with their own personalized jingles. Well, and, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, let me play this so that our, uh, our listeners can hear what we're talking about. This is the, um, the quality of the product that came out of, uh, Ken's studios, uh, in Toledo, Ohio. This is their, uh, pro pack one package. You're hearing a taste of Pro Pack, the hottest, most functional collection of oldies production elements ever recorded. You get acapella golden years, wild Sonovox drop ins, promo beds, top of the hour stagers. Jeez, I don't even know what half this stuff is, but well, Ken R tells me you guys go nuts when you get it. Lido. Blah, 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 blah. The most music. Music. Explosion. Pro-Pack contains over an hour non-personalized jingles, which are ready to use on the air right out of the box. Give your station that authentic 60s sound with Pro-Pack, available on real or dat, in glorious monophonic sound. If you require stereo, tough noogies live with it. Pro-Pack is another Ken R exclusive. I always wanted to be your announcer. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be the guy that was on the demo uh, package there. Yeah, I should I should have used you. I, I used several different announcers. The guy who you just heard on that was he's he's deceased now, but his name was Stan Wessel, W E S S E L, and he just had that magic kind of voice, you know, yeah. kind of like your voice too. Um, and I used him, and I used some other people. Um, can't even think of all of their names now, but yeah, that, that demo was designed. It was sent out to stations and it gave them just a little idea of what kind of uh, cuts would be included in a pro pack. And of course, when they bought the actual package, 
uh, the cuts were not all run together in a montage. They were individually, you know, provided. The, I, I although um, over the years, I was always happy with everybody else at the station when we would get a jingle package and the smaller stations, my home station, WEIR in Weirton, West Virginia, they never thought they were important. You know, you couldn't, you'd have to go in and get on your knees to the general manager, you know, and then he would say, well, what do you, you know, come on, what do you need jingles for, for heaven's sake, just get on the air and do something entertaining. And, Mm -hmm. but, but when we'd get them, then we would all, it would sound complete. Now we, sounded like a professional radio station. And as the years went on and I ended up in Syracuse, we had a jam jingle package for Super Radio 14 FBL. And it wasn't until years later in 1981 that I went to work for a mutual friend, a friend of yours and mine, um, Michael D. Neff, who unfortunately is also deceased. Uh, And there is no bigger there was no bigger jingle fan uh in the, not in the united states than michael neff and uh you know he knew all of the, all of the, uh, the singers by name and uh he could identify the different singers and had all the jingles and uh that it was at that time that i became keenly aware of the importance of good quality jingles because at wgy mike was had uh, had the leeway to order jingles uh, when he needed them, uh, you know, for a special weekend, for a special holiday. There was always something new coming in, and and they were always very good. How what I don't understand, my mind cannot comprehend how you guys think this stuff up and make them sound as good as they they do. I. Uh, you start with a blank page, I mean, you know, an empty piece of paper. Uh, mm-hmm. is, it, is it possible to describe the process? Sure. Um, usually the germ of the idea comes from the station. And they'll say, you know, here's our slogan. Here's a phrase we want to use. And uh, we need this number of jingles. And uh, they can describe some other lyrics they'd like to work in or something like that. Some jingles don't have a lot of lyrics. It's just the call letters and the dial position or mm-hmm. the slogan and the call letters or something like that. So those are a little easier. But sometimes somebody wants a long jingle. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did some jingles for WBBM, which was and is an all-news station in Chicago. And they wanted this long singing thing mentioning the names of all their programs and stuff like that. Oh, boy. And, um, you know, first, I, I guess the first... Um, First step is to sit there at the piano and have all of these ideas arranged on little pieces of paper. And then I sit at the piano and find a melody, uh, a tune to which these can be sung. And I begin to fit phrases into that. I guess that would be one of the early steps. And then um, I'll finish writing the lyrics. And at that time, depending on when it was, after 1988, uh, we had a fax machine. That's 87 or 88, that's when a fax machine became available. And so we'd fax the lyrics over and say, is this all okay with you? And then the station program director would sign off with that and then we'd produce it. Um, Most casual listeners uh, to your show don't realize that uh, jingles are recorded in pieces. 
Um, the instrumental track is recorded first before anything is sung. And then uh, that, that can be done in pieces too. Sometimes just drums and bass first and a guitar, then another guitar, then brass and strings. They're all recorded separately by people hearing the previous parts in their headphones and adding their particular talent to it. And then when that's all done, then the singers will come in. We can't get away from the jingles. <laughs> yeah, that was my, uh, my phone. But, uh, so the, the singing is done after all of the instrumental tracks are cut. And usually the singers come in for a three or four hour session or something like that. And they'll sing a whole stack of jingles. They sing usually for 50 minutes per hour and they get a 10 minute break. And then they come back in the studio and sing for another 50 minutes. So that's, that's kind of the process in its most basic form. Now, do you stack? Uh, I think I, I read or was reading, and this would have been about um, Jonathan Walford uh, at uh, Jam, that they, they take the, the uh, vocal tracks and then stack it on top of each other three times. Well, let me explain what stacking means. Um, the basic definition is you sing your vocal and it's all mixed, all the three microphones usually, um, the girls, the guys, and the bass singer. Mm -hmm. uh, each have their own microphone. It's all mixed to one track in real time. And that's the first layer of vocal. And then they'll go back and do the same thing twice and sometimes three times, although most companies don't bother with three times. Um, and you would think that adding all these voices would make it sound like a choir or something, but it doesn't because these singers are so good and they match themselves so perfectly that it just adds kind of a thickness to the vocal, but it doesn't make it sound like a big choir. Isn't that's that's the word I would not have been able to come up with that uh, the word the thickness? Yes, that's exactly what it is. It just, it's a depth that's there, a power. Uh, and I've often wondered too, you know, we we pigs love the jingles. I mean, we radio uh, jingle buffs. I would sit when we were on a long trip. I would take Michael Neff's uh, uh, cassettes and stick them in and listen to his jingle samplers and force my daughter mm -hmm. and wife uh, to listen to them. You know, and I, it was funny. I thought <laughs> we were. Uh, I always, you know, my daughter would be in the back seat and. And I'm playing these jingles and I'm thinking, man, this, she must really hate, be hating this. Right. And so we were, she and I, and a friend of hers were going on some kind of a, like to a gymnastics event far away. And, uh, she said, dad, you, do you have those <laughs> jingle things? Uh, you put, put one of those in. I went, whatever this girl's name was to hear it. And, and my daughter said to her friend, You'll, you'll really, this is really cool. You'll enjoy this. <laughs> and I'm sure well, the friends said, oh man. <laughs> well, my, my wife and I can't kind of have an unspoken agreement that when we're going on a trip in the car, um, we listen to what she wants to listen to, either a podcast or the kind of music that she likes and no jingles are played. Uh -huh. And uh, she knows that I love jingles and I listen to them. You know, I go for a two mile walk every morning and I, I, uh, do other activities during the day and I always listen to jingles but uh, no I'm not going to make my wife 
listen to jingles. It's just not fair to her. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't like them that much. <laughs> well, I was very fortunate, I guess. My wife has, has always, uh, been, uh, you know, uh, she has always been interested in, in the stuff she listens to these podcasts. I mean, mm-hmm. I, she'll, she'll mm-hmm. be out on the, on the lanai out back with her iPad listening to these, uh, podcasts. And, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I, I would think to myself, well, sometimes I don't even want to listen to them. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but that's not true. I, I, I was, I had to go get some blood work a couple of months ago and I, uh, our, our truck, and I've mentioned this on the air, our new truck has, uh, uh, a button on the dashboard for podcasts. You know, it's AM, FM, Sirius and podcasts. I mean, who ever mm-hmm. heard of that? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and yeah. so I got, in the, I got in the truck and off I go and I'm, coming down Cypress Gardens Boulevard, listening to this podcast, not paying any attention. And I thought, hey, this is pretty interesting. And then I realized it was mine. Uh, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. sure. Sure, uh, that would be interesting to you, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fun to do. Now, how about, uh, I've heard um, on a number of occasions, radio stations outside of the United States, non-English speaking uh, countries, Want you guys to do a jingle? Uh, mm-hmm. h- how do you do that? You have to learn the language, or is it just then? Uh, no, uh, not usually. Um, sometimes it's just the call letters and a simple phrase, "mas música," more music, or something like that in Spanish. And um, we've done enough of these that you know somebody in our vocal group will know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Or sometimes the station will send us a tape with the program director reading the lyrics uh-huh. the way he wants them produced. So we can do that. Normally, the and we've done jingles in Spanish. We've done jingles in French. We even did a couple of jingles in Dutch at one point. But mm-hmm. um, we generally don't sing a lot of words in that language because we don't want it to sound like American singing. We want it to sound like we're singing. Sure. Uh, you know, from their country. Um, and now, see, at, at that time, there weren't a lot of companies in these other countries that could produce good jingles. Now there are. Now there are, there are companies in the Netherlands, there's companies in Mexico, mm-hmm. there's even companies in Canada that can produce these local jingles more authentically than we could. But at that time, no, we had to figure out how to do it. Sure. We even sang one jingle in um, Hebrew. Oh. And that was a little odd. But yeah, we yeah. did that. And um, it was just something you had to do. Well, I, I did a liner or a jingle, uh, if, if you will, for a station. Was it in Lagos, Nigeria, or where was it? It was in, um, but it was Swahili. Mm-hmm. It, it was a liner in, in Swahili. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I. I got it uh, yeah, with the help of uh, uh, the uh, translator in my iPhone. Mm-hmm. I, I was, mm-hmm. I was able to get it. And, and then when I, I sent it to them and I said, well, how, you know, how was it? And they said it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm fluent in Swahili. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can add yeah. that to my well, resume. <laughs> well, of course we didn't, you know, my, the last year I did anything in the studio was 2005 and the uh, iPhones had not come out, and the translators, automatic translators had not come out. It would have been great to have something like that. Sure. We didn't have that luxury. 
Yeah, you probably never did anything for Russia. Uh, you know, like the Volga boatman, you know, da 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 da. Uh, no, <laughs> never came up. You know, no, I wouldn't suppose. Well, those were. I don't know if they had that kind of station. Uh, well, I'm quite familiar with it. I I was on assignment in in the Soviet Union for about four or five years, and I worked very closely with Gostel Radio, which is the Soviet national radio and TV system. And in those mm -hmm. days, there was no private ownership. Uh, there is now, um, mm -hmm. but in those days, you you either listen and, and the, but they had uh, the networks were uh, different formats. One was the youth uh, channel, and uh, one was the old folks channel, <laughs> and uh, and and so if you wanted to hear rock and roll music or their their rock music, which just sounds like somebody like the uh, to me, it always sounded like when the uh, recycling truck comes around and dumps the can, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> We're getting close to the uh, end of our time here. Th that had to be really an exciting time in your life, not only not only to produce quality jingles and then hear them. Uh, on various radio stations, uh, but to be your own boss and 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 know that you're creating, actually being creating something from nothing, and and being good at it, uh, <coughs> it had to be the, the probably the best part of your professional career, I would think, more more so than the I first radio so. station. Oh, absolutely. Radio never really did anything for me, mostly because I never really did anything for radio. But when I had my studio, uh, I was my own boss, and that was very nice. And I had to work a lot of hours because, um, you know, let's say we were singing our jingles on Monday night, and I knew that the singers were going to come in and we'd have like 40 or 50 jingles to do. I had to make sure that they were all written out in order, the tracks were all laid out in order, ready to sing. And that was a lot of work because when they come in, they expect to see the charts all written and mm -hmm. in order. So that was a lot of work, but it was very gratifying um, because after a certain point, I didn't have to do any selling. Um, people called me and it became more than I could handle. Um, I actually had more work than I needed or wanted. And um, so it finally got to me around the year 2000, I was kind of burning out. Mm -hmm. And so I just stopped making jingles to kind of preserve my sanity at that point. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it was fun. And, and uh, hearing my jingles on the air from different countries in particular was cool. And the whole experience was just wonderful for me. I was very lucky to be able to do what I did and to have the talent that I had available to me. Uh, it was just great. How did you audition? Uh, how did you find these singers? Uh, I auditioned the first two <clears throat> and they were fortunately very talented. And then they brought in the other people. Um, you know, like my male lead singer, Doug would say, I got this guy. He'd be perfect singing baritone. His name is DJ. I'll bring him in. He can sing along next session. And so DJ would come in and just be able to read music flawlessly. And uh, and so forth. Uh, they mm -hmm. all recommended each other after that point. That's great. Now that I remember, and again, we're getting real close here. But I I remember over the years, uh, uh, didn't Anita Kerr uh, do some radio jingles or something along the way? Well, uh, uh, the only connection I had with Anita Kerr 
is I signed an agreement with her sometime after the year 2000. Um, to, uh, we were selling jingles, licensed jingles from other companies on CD to people. We had Pam's jingles, we had TM jingles, we had Future Sonic, Johnny Man. And then, yes, I signed an agreement with Anita Kerr so that we could sell her jingle packages. And she uh, sent me, I think, either on reel or cassette, <clears throat> copies of all of her jingles, oh, which wow. I cleaned up and then issued on CD, which were very popular with people. Um, and she was a very nice lady, uh, died a couple of years ago, but very nice lady, very soft-spoken. And she was not only a, a jingle singer, but she and her group, the Anita Kerr Singers, sang background on literally hundreds and hundreds of hit records. Oh, and yeah. that's where most people would know her voice. Yeah, yeah. Now, when I was in uh, Kansas City, working in Kansas City at KCKN, the country station there, I, I, I ran across a, a studio singer, uh, and she was just a wonderful person, Janie Fricky. Uh, oh, yes. And I, and, and I think Janie uh, went, became a, a singer, too, in, in some of the uh, jingle factories. Yeah, she sang in particular for TM and a couple other, Ralph Stashen and some of the other jingle companies in Dallas. And um, her voice was always very distinctive, and she was a wonderful singer. Um, I never met her until 2008. Um, and in 2008, um, a bunch of people got together and held a tribute dinner to Tom Merriman, who was, he started the jingle industry in Dallas, but he worked for TM and CRC and later Jam and other companies. And uh, Janie Fricky was at that big tribute dinner, and I recognized her face, and I went over and introduced myself. And she said, oh, I know who you are. You, uh -huh. you produce jingles and you've written these books about the jingle industry. And she was so nice and so uh, welcoming to me. I'm just a little nobody. And she was a famous jingle singer first, starting in the late 60s and early 70s. And then she was a big time country singer with a lot of hit records. And I was really honored that she even talked to me. Well, in, in closing, I'm glad you mentioned your books because I've uh, you have uh, five, is it? Uh, how many? Well, I yeah, I, I got have, them written um, down here. The the jingle book, the second jingle book. I noticed there's no third jingle book. Uh, up, no. and, up and down the dial and grow to, uh, growing up, uh, Glencoe. Yeah, those are my those are my books. They were available on Amazon as e downloads for a long time, and then I stopped that because. You know, for every book I sold, I'd only make pennies and, and Amazon would make all the money, now, yeah. which I didn't like. But um, now my books are all available from jinglesamplers.com. Um, you can buy one inexpensive package called Big Book Bonanza or something like that. I don't remember what, what it was called, but um, it included all my books about jingles and radio. And also a lot of other things I've written for the year over other magazines or other people's books or something like that. So, you know, if you are interested in reading my books and in my books, I did interview a lot of jingle singers and jingle producers. Uh, you, you, can, you can get them from jinglesamplers.com. And in conclusion, you're also, you have uh, written quite a number of guest uh, commentaries on the uh, online radio world. 
yes, I, I'm actually, I've actually been a writer for Radio World, um, which is an industry paper. Uh, I've written for them since 1985. I'm working on an article right now for them. So I've been a writer for them for almost, almost 40 years, oh, wow. 38 years or something like that. Radio World is a, is subscribed to by mostly engineers, but also a lot of programming people. Yeah. And it's uh, radioworld.com. You can find everything there. Well, Ken, Ken R, Ken R Deutsch, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your retirement schedule. Uh, <laughs> you, you also live in, in sunny Florida here and, and you live in an area that we, we thought very seriously about and, uh, Always enjoy our visits down there to Armand uh, Circle. Is it Armand? Uh, yeah, St. Armand Circle. St. Yes. Armand Circle. That's always fun. And uh, the um, restaurants are, are, are great in that area. And uh, it has been a, a real pleasure. I haven't talked to you probably in 20 years. And one of the jingles that, that I contracted with your company was for a friend of mine who owned a transportation company, a limousine company, uh, Airlines Limousine Service. And you guys did a boogie woogie thing with his phone number. And I oh, still cool. remember it. And it excellent. You repeated the singers repeated the phone number three or four times or five times in, in the 60 second jingle. And it stuck like glue. Uh, he's been out of business. In fact, he's deceased now, but he's been out of business for 20 years. And I still remember his phone number, 729-3111. Because you guys sang that boogie woogie jingle. And embedded uh -huh. his uh -huh. phone number into the minds of uh, thousands and thousands of listeners. Well, that's kind of the point of jingles. I mean, who remembers what the announcer said 20 years ago? Nobody. Yeah. But if, if there's a catchy jingle and it's repeated often enough and it's on target as far as the messaging goes, yeah, you'll remember it forever. Yeah. Um, I still remember jingles I heard. Um, uh, when I was when I was ten years old on WLS, I still remember those jingles, and uh, that's that's the point. That's why I love doing jingles, and uh, I'm I'm happy that we were able to come up with something that you liked and can remember. Yep, it was great. Well, Ken Deutsch, thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and uh, if you're ever in our um, area here on the sunny Gulf Coast of Florida, please let me know, and we'll get together. I will do that. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking About Radio with John Leslie, a podcast that features conversation with the greatest broadcast professionals everywhere. If you'd like to be a guest on Talking About Radio and share your favorite radio stories, just send an email to talkingaboutradio at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.